Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yes, indeed. Good morning. On this holiday weekend, I am joined from the University of Minnesota, Julie Weisenhorn. Julie, happy Easter. (laughs) I've been telling folks wishing them happy anniversary. I thought, why am I saying that? Well, there's a reason, right? Where's Julie? (laughs) There she is. Hi, how are you? Well, I'm doing fine. The reason I've been saying happy anniversary to folks instead of happy Easter is uh, there is a reason, is we are celebrating, we're trying to figure out today, is it our ninth (laughs) or tenth anniversary here on the Smart Garden Show? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's ten, actually. I'm not really sure. Yes, time does fly, and it we does do fly have when fun. You're having fun, and we do every <laughs> Saturday for sure. Uh, I I'll tell you what, let's do this. Uh, let's uh, introduce you. You brought a special guest, a colleague of yours, and uh, a great time of year to do so. Who did you bring with you today? Yep. So Maggie Ryder, our turf extension educator, is also on the show today and looking for those questions about lawn care. Yeah, Maggie. Good morning. Hi. Hi, everybody. Yeah, I'm Thanks. here, and uh, hope you know. Hope I'll be on a little bit more regularly this season. I don't. I just don't have a bunch of time. It's not that much. All right. on, you know, Good. on lawns. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll uh, we'll, well take we'll take that. Yeah, it's great to have uh, to Maggie with uh, Julie. Uh, as Julie mentioned, if you have uh, specifically a, a lawn a lawn question, turf question, uh, bring it in today. Either send it a text or call us. Call Julie or Maggie. Same number as the text number. Six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. In fact, we're already getting <laughs> Maggie questions about when can I fer- fertilize my lawn. That's that's a couple of them have come in already about that. When when's a good time? Is it time now? No. <laughs> so no. I know people are rearing to go, and we are we're ahead of schedule this spring. It's about two or two and a half weeks ahead of schedule compared to normal, um, according to growing three days. You know, some golf courses are opening earlier than they have in, in a decade. I think t- 2012 was the last time it was this early. Um, so actions that you can take on your lawn now are still, you know, repairing winter damage. If you have snow mold, rake it out. Seed with the patch and repair mixes if, if you have any bare spots. Um, but wait on the fertilizing. So although the, you know, the air temperatures are, are wonderful and it sounds like the forecast will be for next week too, um, the grass still is just not growing very much. You know, soil temperatures are still 40 degrees in St. Paul. Um, it's going to take another three to four weeks for the grass to be actively growing and, you know, probably until May to even need to mow it. 
So we want to fertilize when the grass is actively growing and it's going to take up that fertilizer and use it. If we put out fertilizer now, like I said, it's too early. Grass isn't going to use it. And so it's going to sit there and it is at risk of you know, being lost to the environment. Um, so I know people are very excited, uh, but let's wait three to four weeks, I would say, on, on the fertilizer. Patience, patience. Uh, <laughs> Julie, what about shrubs, things like that? Is, 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 is the same uh, rule apply? Wait for a while to fertilize? Well, I think uh, the same rule applies as with turf is when you see the plants that are actively growing, when you see leaves that are starting to open, uh, buds that are breaking, uh, new branching, that's when you want to fertilize. The problem with, just like with grass, is, is if you put it down now, we still have the potential for cold weather. I'm sorry to say that. Um, but uh, And that fertilizer just sits there. If it's granular, it can blow off your property and it can go into gutters, which eventually winds up in our lakes and streams and could produce a whole lot of fertilization for things like curly pondweed and milfoil and, and algae. So we want to prevent that from happening. So just uh, when you see active growing, then you want to do the fertilization so that the plant is going to actively take up that fertilizer as it dissolves. Okay. Let's uh, get to the phones. Uh, Gary, I think, is first up here calling in from St. Louis Park. Gary, you're on CCO. Good morning. Hi. Good morning, Maggie, Julie, Denny. Um, um, Julie, I have a question. I'd, I'd like to know what the difference is between topsoil and potting soil and which would be best to use when I start to plant my tomatoes inside of containers? And is it too early to start watering my ewes? And- okay, so watering your ewes, go for it. We are in a fairly dry spring right now, and the wind has not been helpful. So you can definitely be watering your shrubs, your trees, uh, right now, um, provided that your soil is thawed out. And I think it probably will be after this weekend, at least the top six inches or so. So yes, you can definitely water shrubs and trees and evergreens in particular, because they've been hanging onto those needles all winter long and need to rehydrate those needles. As far as the type of soil to use for your containerized tomatoes, you can use a potting soil. Uh, topsoil is a heavier type of soil. It's usually more clay in it. And we use it for things like um, like if you're going to top dress your turf, if you're going to uh, maybe add a little bit of soil to a garden area, you would use topsoil or you'd use a, a, a commercially approved or commercially produced garden soil. You can buy it in bulk um, from uh, some of our big bulk producers. But potting soil is different. It's lighter. It has more peat in it. It sometimes has fertilizer built into it. It's a good uh, product for a containerized uh, plant. Now, that being said, potting soil is also very lightweight. So I sometimes will actually mix in a little bit of topsoil with potting soil for those bigger containers and for those bigger plants like tomatoes. It adds a little bit of weight to that soil. And uh, and actually, to be honest, it prevents the pot from from blowing over sometimes, and we've That's experienced true. some of that. <laughs> That's right. Uh, this t- I know we have to break here momentarily, but this text says on the internet, I read to get rid of grubs, mix one tablespoon of soap to one quart of water, spray all over the yard. In your opinion, will this work? Uh, this is Maggie. I, no, I, I don't know if there's a lot of evidence for the efficacy of, of a treatment like that. Um, uh, for the grubs, you know, I would also direct you to go to our, to our website. We have a good treatment like that. Um, 
for the grubs, you know, I would also direct you to go to our to our website. We have a good web page about this on controlling grubs in lawns. And there are some notes there about some of the natural or um, biologically based controls. Uh, and there's also insecticides. And then it also has information too on the right timings to apply all these things. You know, this spring, the grubs are, are pretty large. Um, so you're almost applying a, a curative treatment or they're harder to control in the springtime. Um, the, the most optimal time to, to get them and reduce populations is, is in the fall. Here's one I know we'll have to break, uh, and then, Joe, uh, you're going to be next. What is the proper way to transplant rhubarb, a listener wants to know? So transplant rhubarb now, as soon as you can dig it up safely and before the leaves start to emerge. And uh, just dig around. There's a, it's a pretty good-sized root area for a mature rhubarb plant. So just dig nice, a nice big ball of soil out and then have your hole ready to plant it in. It's actually pretty easy to do, but the key thing is to do it now before that plant starts putting out big leaves. All right, very good. Let's take this break. 651-989-9226. Uh, Maggie has joined Julie this morning talking turf, too. So if you have any kind of a lawn question, call it in or text it in this morning on our Smart Garden Show. Here on News Talk 830, this is WCCO. And a good morning on this holiday weekend. Denny Long here along with Julie Weisenhorn, my writer from the University of Minnesota, talking lawns and gardens. And specifically, since Maggie has taken the time to join us today, if you have any kind of a lawn question, this is your day today. And Maggie will be joining us from time to time here on the show, on our Smart Garden Show. 651-989-9226. Julie and Maggie, we promised Joe he'd be next here on the show. Joe, thanks for waiting. What is your question? Uh, yes, I have a very healthy lawn, but I also have some very healthy autumn blaze maple trees that have some exposed roots. And what I'm th- I know you're not supposed to cover the roots. Uh, so what I was thinking is I was thinking of filling in the area between the exposed roots. Um, and it would be typically one to two inches of uh, 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 backfill that I'd need, maybe a occasional small area that has a, uh, maybe a three-inch elevation. Um, so my, my question is, uh, you know, can I just put black dirt on top of the current sod, or do I have to dig the sod up? And is black dirt a good uh, recommendation, or is there another fill that would be better, or a blend of black dirt and something else? Um, as far as the, the soil texture, you you want to try the best that you can to match the soil of your lawn beneath it. Um, so, you know, a soil test helps kind of identify that. Um, but just think, you know, if you have particularly sandy soils, maybe incorporate sand. If you have particularly, particularly clayey soils, um, maybe something that's not as light. Um, and then, it, you know, it depends on what grass you have and how high it's mowed as far as how much you could sort of bury it or top dress it. Try to try to take it slow. Do it in steps. Like do maybe a half inch uh, in the spring and a half inch in the fall, and do it over time. I think that is gonna that will give you a better chance of success than maybe dumping two inches on it at once. Um, I I don't know if it would necessarily grow through that. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, I'm gonna give you an alternative. (laughs) Okay. Good. Um, so uh, you want to avoid uh, one of the problems with growing grass around tree roots, especially large tree roots, is you have to mow it. 
And so uh, when you mow it, uh, inadvertently you can damage the tree roots and that can open the tree up to wounds and uh, that can also open it up to diseases and pests. So my recommendation when people have a large tree like that and they're so valuable for your property is that you actually um, do not grow turf between the roots, but you move out beyond the root area, the root flare we call it, uh, where to where the roots are uh, in the soil where you can't see them, and you mulch that area. So you don't try to grow grass between the roots. You mulch it, and then you interplant that mulch. Just plant that mulch with uh, shade perennials or perennials that are suitable for the light that you have. And that alleviates having to mow uh, or try to grow uh, plant, try to grow grass or piling you know, soil in between those roots. So that's an alternative. Um, I think it's safer for the tree. I think it's less work. You still can have a great healthy lawn beyond that uh, root zone of that tree, but um, trees are trees have a lot of roots in the top 18 inches. That's where most of the roots reside. And if you dug down in that soil, you'd see that most of those fine hair roots are right at, below the soil level of that tree. And that those are the roots that are taking up water for that tree. So there's an alternative for you, Joe. All right, very good. No, I, I'll, I'll add to you. I, I like that a lot. I, you know, like Julie said, that's the best um, for the tree. It's hard to grow grass under trees. Um, you know, there's there's shade issues. There's um, competition among the roots. Um, so if you're if you're willing, yeah, just mulch it out and don't grow grass under trees. Very good. This listener says, "Is rubber mulch a good idea under lilac trees?" So rubber mulch is what we would call a synthetic mulch. Um, if you use it, it's mostly used, to be honest, under playground sets because it has a little bit of cush so that as kids jump off of uh, slides and swings and stuff, they're getting a little bit of cushion, which is easier on their joints and bones as they're growing. So it, it's fine to use, uh, but you definitely want to put a landscape fabric down first because you do not want that rubberized mulch or any other synthetic mulch that you choose to use working its way into your soil. Um, I, to be honest, wouldn't use it under lilacs. I would use a wood mulch, and you can put that directly on the soil, But and I would reserve that rubber mulch for something like a play area. Okay. If you have a question for Julie or Maggie, 651-989-9226. Let's go back to the phones. Bill is calling from Deep Haven uh, this morning. Thanks for waiting, Bill. What's your question? Thank you. Good morning. Uh, last fall, we had a large area in our front yard where the grass just died, and it doesn't look like it's going to green up at all this spring. And I was wondering kind of what might have caused that, and I don't want to do a lot of work of redoing it if there's something underlying that's causing that grass to die. These are always the most challenging questions, you know, when there's just a big spot on the lawn and it's, it's hard to say. Um, I'm trying to think, you know, last fall we had a, a, about three weeks where we didn't get any rainfall. So it could have been suffering some sort of drought stress, which we, we usually don't think about in the fall time. Um, that might have been it. I would say test the soil there and see if anything out of the ordinary is going on that would maybe cause it to, to dry out faster or, or to be limiting as far, as far as nutrients for plant growth. But, you know, I don't think it would be disease problems. Um, it could be, could be grubs potentially. And, you know, by September time, it's usually too late to control those. Um, that's, uh, yeah, it's hard to say. What this about, texture, uh, what about annual, like the grass type, Maggie? Like what if it was, I wonder if there was any work done on the lawn? Oh, like if it was potentially a weed, like a weedy grass or something that's an annual plant. Yeah, that could be it. So, I mean, 
right now, an action that could be taken is just go and try to overseed into that with with a good choice of a grass that's you know a desirable perennial grass type. Okay, is it still okay to trim oak and birch? Listener wants to know. Uh, not the oaks. So uh, we we recommend pruning oaks from November through March, and we are now into April, so the time is over for pruning your oaks. And the reason for that is because uh, oak wilt, which is a devastating disease, is uh, vectored or transferred through the um, through a beetle that uh, moves around this starts moving around this time of year, and also through oak roots. So as you have a grove of oaks, those roots can grow together and graft together and transfer. If one has the disease, it can transfer to the other. And it's, it's a fast-moving, devastating disease on oaks. So we do not recommend, uh, in fact, do not prune your oaks from April through October. Now, the worst time of that period is April through the end of June. But there's a moderate risk of, of oak wilt from July through October. So in talking to our, um, my uh, colleague, uh, Gary Wyatt, who's an agroforester in our Department of Forest Resources, Natural Resources, he says, just wait to prune your oaks November through March, and you, are, you will be safe. Okay. As far as it goes, if you prune it now, it's going to bleed. Uh, the sap is going to run, but that's a natural occurrence, and you don't have to worry if that's the case. Um, so you could certainly prune your birch right now. All right. Let's take the break and have a look at this beautiful forecast. Might be a little rainy, but we'll tell you about that coming along in just a moment. But a great weekend around here, here on News Talk 830 WCCO. Stay with us. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show around every Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour. Thanks to good folks like Julie Weisenhorn and Maggie Ryder from the University of Minnesota. By the way, for just joining us, uh, Maggie is joining Julie today. Maggie is a, a turf educator at the University of Minnesota. So if you have a lawn question, today is your day. So call it in or text it in like a bunch of folks are doing. 651-989-9226. Uh, Maggie and Julie, we, we've been getting uh, some text messages. I've been l- looking ahead at uh, at lawn questions about crabgrass. And I understand uh, th- that you have, Maggie, an article, written an article on uh, the Yard and Garden News about that. Yeah, I think that just went out this week. So, yeah, this may be a good time to plug the Yard and Garden News. Um, that's our, our biweekly newsletter that you can access on our website that's at extension.umn.edu in the Yard and Garden tab. Um, but I'll say quick about uh, crabgrass. So like I said, we're, we're about two weeks ahead of normal. Um, so at this time, or you know, especially the next week, maybe week and a half, crabgrass preventer can go out. I have an experiment you know, in St. Paul that I'm doing with some that includes pre-emergent um, products for crabgrass, and I'm going to put those treatments out probably April 12th or April 19th myself. So we could see crabgrass germinating maybe that last week of April. Again, based on today's forecast with some like historical norms, but the, you know how the weather changes, it's, it's hard to, to predict that. Um, but we're in a window where crabgrass preventers can go out in the next week or two, next two weeks. All right, very good. Uh, 651-989-9226. Let's go back to the phones. Greg, I think, in Minneapolis has been waiting there. Thank you, Greg. What is your question? Uh, good morning. Uh, yeah, I got another uh, tree root question. 
I've got a large white pine in my front yard. It's probably 50 or 60 feet tall. That's pushing up a couple sections of my sidewalk that kind of wraps from the side of the house around to the front. I'm wondering um, if I get that repaired, and obviously they would probably have to take out a root in there. Would that damage the tree, or what, what would the repercussions be to do that? Well, I believe, it, it. first of all, holy cow, that's amazing. I love white pines, and you are very lucky to have that tree. It's a beautiful tree. Um, if you're taking out one root, it probably will be fine. Uh, if you take out two or three roots, uh, you might start to see some um, pushback from the tree as far as some dieback. Uh, I would think that if you're going to replace your sidewalk, it might be an opportunity to do a little redesigning of that sidewalk to accommodate the tree. That may or may not be feasible. I'm not sure uh, without looking at it, but um, but that would be uh, that would be my thought is to think about you know do I do I use a sidewalk? Do I need it here? Can I put the sidewalk somewhere else? Uh, is there a, a different way to design it so that I don't have to cut a tree root? But usually if uh, if you cut one tree root, it probably will be okay. But if you get a little more aggressive, you may see some dieback on that tree. And I'm sure you do not want to lose that tree. It sounds fantastic. All right. I think Joyce is waiting in the wings there in White Bear Lake to ask uh, you a question. Go ahead, Joyce. Thanks again for waiting. Uh, arborists took out a couple of oaks this winter, leaving a lot of sawdust on our lawn. We've taken up as much as possible. What do we do next? So like sawdust and, and um, wood and paper products too, they can have a, a high carbon to nitrogen ratio, which means that they might be um, kind of sucking nitrogen fertility away from the lawn grass. Um, it sounds like you've, you know, you've collected as much as you could. And I would just say, keep an, keep an eye on it. And if your grass starts to look chlorotic, like a little bit yellowish, um, it may need more nitrogen fertilizer. I think that, you know, that's the worst that could happen to the grass plants. Um, but there might be enough, you know, organic matter in your soil that that's going to be okay. Um, but I would just say, keep a close eye on it. If it starts looking off color, that may be a signal to trigger uh, adding nitrogen fertilizer. Julie, do you have anything to add on that? Um, I think uh, I, I think you've done a good job. Just if you've raked it out and, and removed as much as you can, that's terrific. So I agree with you, Maggie. That sounds like a very good approach. All right, let's see. Here's a text that says, I'll be closing on a newly built home at the end of July this year. What is the best way to stabilize the bare ground of the yard until I can plan for flower beds and vegetable gardens for the next year? You want well, that you can you can use grass. <laughs> you can use turf grass. Um, you know, and I, I don't think grass is too difficult to um, get rid of when you need to. Uh, but I would just say grass is is very good at erosion control, right? So go and get some some type of grass that um, you know perennial ryegrasses will germinate quickly, and uh, annual ryegrass too. Uh, but they're not necessarily a good choice for a turf grass lawn. They'll just germinate quick and give you quick cover that will stabilize that soil. You know, grasses have a, a very fibrous um, root network compared to like a broadleaf plant that has more of a tap root. Um, so you can, I think the best thing is just to get, get some quick establishing grass on there as a cover crop. Okay. Uh, let's see who's next. Sharon is calling in from Eden Prairie this morning. Sharon, thank you. What is your question? 
Good morning. Um, I dormant feed it last fall, and I've seen some results, but not a lot of results. I see some seeds setting there yet. But what I want to know is do, when I put down my crabgrass control and all that, do I put it on those areas, or is that going to kill the the seed? That is, yeah. I mean, I don't know if the seed is going to germinate or not. As far as the kind of the efficacy of dormant seeding, like I said, you know, the grass is just not growing yet. So I think there's there's a good chance that seed that seed will still germinate or, or come up again. It, it might take a month to start seeing that visibly, depending on on the grass species. Um, so if you put down crabgrass preventer, that's a, a pre-emergent herbicide that will prevent seeds from germinating or will kill seeds as they are germinating. Um, so yes, the, those things cannot get mixed together, right? So avoid putting the crabgrass preventer on these newly seeded areas. Julia, just thinking about the uh, new listeners that join us uh, each week, and maybe they've missed maybe the uh, website from the University of Minnesota. What is it and what can we find there? So it is extension.umn.edu. And it has loads of information there. We work really hard writing and, uh, and creating web content that will help you as homeowners and commercial landscape managers. Um, it has everything from flowers to vegetables to trees and shrubs to lawn care to landscape design, um, native plants, pollinator plants. Uh, all sorts of different information. There's a great section on grow to, uh, you know, like kind of grow to guides, like how to do things that includes stuff like hydroponics. That's a new one this year. Uh, one thing that I would like to point out is uh, a webpage that we have on disinfecting and cleaning your tools. And that's something you can be doing. Uh, it's a nice day to do that today. Actually, you can open up the garage door and get out some alcohol or some bleach and, and get all your tools all jazzed up for the season. So sharpen your blades, disinfect them, clean off old soil, um, clean your containers like your pots and let them dry out in the sun. It's, all, it's a great weekend to do that. And that's really important because there's a lot of disease that can be transferred from, the, from tool, to tool to plant and plant to tool and uh, and also in your containers and pots. And don't forget your tomato cages, too, and your stakes and trellises that you use. There can be disease pathogens that reside on those items over the winter and can transfer to uh, new plants that you put in. So it's a good time to do all of that. What a great idea. I'm going to do that this way. And a great weekend to do it, too, given the weather. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Let's head to uh, Fergus Falls this morning. Dick has been waiting there to ask uh, you a question. Dick, thank you. What is your question? Thank you. Question on the hydrangea paniculata, the trimming back. Uh, I see you on your website. You talk about uh, trimming above the buds. We don't have any buds. So how much can we trim back? So that's interesting that you don't have any buds. Um, it may be that you have a branch that is a newer branch and hasn't produced any buds from the year before. So you can cut that back. Uh, sometimes, in some cases, if it's kind of an unsightly branch, you could cut it back to the actual center of the plant, to the trunk of the plant. Okay. Um, I know that that paniculata grow a vertical, straight, you know, branch that goes straight up off of the off of the main stem, and I always prune those right back to the branch, and they don't have any buds on them; they're kind of non-productive. 
Okay. Right. So in general, at this time of the year, we should be seeing buds on the plant, though. Is that right? That's right. You should be seeing buds on the plant, um, and you should be able to prune. And, and as you, I'm really glad that you read the article um, that was co-written by Debbie Lani from Bailey Nurseries. And, uh, and you should be able to prune back. But some of those branches, I know on my uh, quick-fire hydrangea, it's a straight vertical branch. I always cut those right back to the, to the actual center of the plant as far down as I can. Okay. I know we have to break here briefly, but before we do, the listener says, what can we do with the bent grass taking over our backyard? Began as one-foot spots that have increased in size and spread. Yeah, so bent grass is the, the you know choice grass that's used on golf course putting greens and some fairways, um, and it often will come into a lawn, and it because it doesn't grow well, you know, at two or three inches height of cut, it, it is a weed, and it, you know, susceptible to diseases and things like that. It tends to kind of invade lawns in, in wet areas, so, you know, I say make sure that you're, um, you have good drainage or you're not overwatering if you have an irrigation system. So, you know, I say make sure that you're, um, you have good drainage or you're not overwatering if you have an irrigation system. But as far as removing it, there's no... There's no easy answer as far as like a selective herbicide that will not get out. Um, I would say you can you hand dig or you hand pull, or you would have to kill that entire area with a non-selective herbicide um, and then reestablish it. Okay. If you have a question for Julie and Maggie, we have a bunch more coming up here on our Smart Garden Show every Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour. Here on News Talk 830 WCCO, we will be right back. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show here every Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour. Thanks to good folks like Julie Weisenhorn, Maggie Ryder this morning, helping you out by phone and by text. And again, tons of both. Uh, In fact, we may pick up on some of the text messages when we begin the show next week. It's just a thought. All right. Um, Is this a good time? I'm just reading a new text here. To use a dethatch machine, will that help make snow mold areas better? Um, so dethatching with, is a cultural practice that uses sort of blades um, to kind of tear up the, some of the thatch in the, in the turf canopy. It would not be a good choice to do this or similar practices like airification um, or vertical mowing right now, just because, like I, like I said, the grass is still, it's not growing very much. Um, so if you went through and you tore up some of the, your, your turf canopy, you just have bare soil or you'd be opening it up to, um, to possible weed opportunities, you know, so wait, wait again, three or four weeks until grass is more actively growing. Even if you could wait till the, you know, the end of May, you know, we, we know grass is going to be actively growing at that time. That's the best time to do practices like that because the grass will be able to kind of fill in or recover and, and take advantage of like airification holes and that type of thing. Um, so wait on something like that. Again, grass is only at like, 10% of its maximum growth potential this last week. Um, and we want it to be up to like at least 60 or 70% for, oh, okay. for doing practices like that. Yeah. The soil temperatures are, are still cold. Maggie, this listener says, how can, how soon can I put down something to kill quack grass so I can remove and reseed? Um, I, you know, 
I would say probably in, in two to three weeks, again, just the plants aren't really growing right now. Applying an herbicide is not going to be um, effective. So just wait until it starts, you start to see visible growth, or maybe you, you are, do one mowing on your grass. If that's a sort of a signal that, that things are growing, right? Well, what's, what's, the, yep. what's the difference? Maybe you can describe it for us. I know Julie has attacked this question before, too. What's the difference between quack grass and crab grass when we're looking down at our lawn wondering which is which? Um, the big differences are that, you know, in my opinion, I guess, and Julie, please feel free to jump in, is that the crabgrass is an annual plant, so it dies every winter um, or dies at the first frost in the, in the fall time. Um, and then it germinates new from seed in the, in the spring. And then crabgrass is, is a perennial plant and it spreads by underground stems or rhizomes. So you can see sort of patches kind of getting bigger or new plants kind of shooting out from the, um, the same sort of center plant. Um, but they're both, they're both very hard to control weeds in lawns and, and turf landscapes, especially. We, doesn't, we, doesn't go ahead, Julie. Doesn't quackgrass grow taller than, like after a mowing, you can see it pops up taller than our Kentucky blue mixes? That's yeah, one, yeah. One so, yeah. Um, quackgrass, yeah, it grows a little bit faster. So, you know, yeah. in between mowings, we'll see it sticking out above um, our, our lawn canopy. And, and another one that does that, though, is is the nut sedges. So, you know, make sure you don't have a, a nut sedge weed if, if it's looking like that. Um, and crabgrass tends to have a more flat kind of spread out growth, and, and it doesn't really shoot up above our turf canopy. Well, both Julie and Maggie, as usual, we have, especially today, uh, some questions about creeping Charlie. How do I treat it? When do I treat it? What's the deal? <laughs> All right. Yes. <laughs> I got I got two questions about this last week, actually. So uh, in, in the creeping Charlie that I've seen you know, around Minneapolis, where I live, it's looking kind of like purpley colored. That's because again, it, it's not it's not actively growing. So treating it at this time is not going to do very much. You could pull it by hand to you know kind of reduce some of the the size of the weeds, but using weed killers on it again, wait two to three weeks until it starts to look green and it's actively growing. As far as what to use and, and how to use it, um, we have written a lot of content on this that's on our website. So I would I would encourage you to go there and you'll have the, the best sort of write up of of options for controlling um, creeping Charlie. Yeah, extension.umn.edu. Great, great information. And I think one of the things about uh, one of the things about weeds like this, these perennial weeds, is that when when Maggie says they're not actively growing, it means that if you could spray it, if you spray an herbicide on there, it's not going to move down into the plant. It's not going to be absorbed by the plant. It's not going to go through the leaves. It's just not. The plant is just sitting there. So it's the herbicide just sits on the plant and it's not like it sits there and waits and it'll activate in two weeks. It gets washed off by rain. So it's just a waste of product and, uh, and ultimately, you know, a waste of your time. So really the timing, I think Maggie, you've done a great job like telling people about the timing of these things so that it's most effective with the least amount of introduction of, of product into the environment. This listener says, what can I do now to mitigate mole damage that occurs late summer? Uh, so moles, you know, that's damage that would appear as sort of raised mounds where they tunnel, you know, in piles of loose soil where they're capping their tunnels. I just saw some mole action last week around here, too. So it can be they can be disruptive to lawns, you know, especially in a in a functional sense, you know, if you're, you're playing uh, sports on them or if it's a tripping hazard. 
Um, but what do you have to do about it? You know, when you have a mole problem, you have to you have to catch the mole, you know, and that takes a lot of practice. So I'm not even very good at it myself. Uh, but as far as preventing it, you know, I don't know if there's any way to exclude moles from your landscape. Exclusion is, you know, a pest management practice. Um, but I, I don't know the details on necessarily the best way to do that. Julie, do you have anything to add? Well, I know that Sam agreed, you know, when, when Sam was on here, he always said, you got to catch the moles. And he would recommend the spring traps that kill the moles. Right. And people right. can cringe at that. But that's really, he said, that's really the most effective way if you actually have a current mole problem. But mm-hmm. I think the grubs, they feed on the grubs. So maybe addressing, as you mentioned, you know, maybe you've got another, there's there's a food source there for those moles and you've got to eliminate that food source. So but right now is not a good time to do grub treatment. Not not right. now, because that was another oh, question, too. You yeah, know what, Maggie them. and Julie, we're out of time. Wow, I just looked at the clock. We're out of time. <laughs> Maggie, great to hear from you. Come back soon, will you? And Julie, you too? You yeah, got, got it. <laughs> All right, thanks very much. Again, get on get on the U of M website, uh, extension.umn.edu. There is so much good reading there. These folks put in a lot of work on that. And uh, we'll do this again next week. Again, thanks to Julie Weisenhorn and Maggie Ryder from the University of Minnesota. Get those home improvement questions ready. Andy Lindis is straight ahead here on the Lindis Construction Home Improvement Hour. In the Twin Cities right now, we have 45 degrees. We are heading for 69. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 